Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben here. This is a bonus episode of uh, the Lean Blog Interviews Podcast. Today, I'm sharing some audio that I was able to record this week with Jamie Flinchbaugh. He's been a guest on this podcast uh, a number of times. Last couple of years, we've been doing a podcast together that we call Lean Whiskey. And, you know, in that podcast, we we usually talk for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, a a little bit about whiskey. And then we talk about lean and related topics for, you know, roughly an hour or so. And, you know, we realize some people don't care about whiskey. They don't want to hear about whiskey at all for whatever reasons. And, you know, I think we had a, a good discussion the other day in this episode where we talked about a blog post Jamie wrote five years ago where he was saying, you know, I think he had a point or he was being a little bit provocative. The title of the blog post was about, you know, we we need to skip the Lean 101 training. And so we had a a good conversation here. Um, Should you skip it? Should you learn by doing? What format should Lean 101 training take? Um, Things like that. So basically what I've done here is I've stripped out all of the whiskey talk And uh, this is just uh, Jamie and I having a good conversation about um, the idea of lean training and and some of our experiences and lessons learned and tips and do's and don'ts. So I hope you enjoy listening to this. I don't know if I'll do this every time with lean whiskey. Maybe I should. This is, you know, just the lean talk of the lean whiskey podcast. So if you want to find the whole episode, uh, you can, or if you want to subscribe to the lean whiskey podcast, you can go to lean whiskey Com. You can search for Lean Whiskey wherever you're listening um, to this podcast. So hope you enjoy the discussion. And uh, here, here it is, me and Jamie. Oh, and I'll add, we were actually able to get together in person, face-to-face, across the table from each other uh, in Philadelphia this week. So this is the first time we've been able to record the episode instead of through Zoom, um, face-to-face. So um, I, I, that, that was really nice, really great to see Jamie. Um, so again, here... If you'd like to listen to us, here's uh, here's the episode. All right, so we've done the whiskey part of lean whiskey. I guess we'll do the lean. Do the lean part. Yeah. Part of lean whiskey. And I, I had a random thought the the other day because, um, you know, we've probably got people listening who fast forward through the whiskey part or don't Possibly. care yeah. about <laughs> the whiskey part. I was saying that maybe we'll, we'll take this segment and, and I might cut it out and, and publish it in the lean – in my lean blog podcast mm-hmm. – as an experiment, mm-hmm. just to see, we'll call it, you know, just the lean, just the lean portion lean or come up with some name, because I, I think we'll have a good discussion here uh, based on an article blog post Jamie wrote in what, 2015? I, I think so. I think that's right. It's been a while, but it's it's been a constant thought of mine. And that that is the topic of, of lean 101 mm-hmm. or intro to lean or whatever you want to call it. Um, what should it exist? Mm-hmm. Uh if so, what should it look like? Uh, yeah, what in what form? Include, what form, what content, et cetera. In, in a lot of ways, companies new to the journey in particular, but even mature in the journey, struggle with, you know, what, what should we do? What's the right mm-hmm. form? How do we get it out to the, the masses, so to speak? And yeah. and and I'm not sure I've I've ever been satisfied with many of the answers and examples. Mm. I mean, you, you and I have probably, I, I've certainly been tasked with uh, doing some Lean 101 training. I'm sure, I'm sure you've done that too. 
I've, I have, but very little of it. I, mm-hmm. I would generally, you know, back in my older, I'll say consulting days, because I think that's different than what I do today. Yeah. You know, we, we had lots of training. We, we, training was a big part of what we did. But I would generally try to get out of us doing Lean 101. Um, so, and I, and I felt that for, for a couple of reasons. Um, one is I didn't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, why, why is that? Uh, I, you know, I, I think it, it's, it, it feels a little robotic, a little scripted, kind of because it should be. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, 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 and I think that the kind of, you know, I've always fed on the questions. Mm-hmm. I've always fed on the depth and the give me a challenging question. And I, I feel like you don't, you don't get as much of that well, richness in a lean 101. But that, that, I guess that's one variable of how do you conduct it? Right. Is it um, not accusing you of this, or <laughs> I hope I haven't done this, but, you know, the droning one direction PowerPoint heavy mm-hmm. lean 101 versus something that's much more discussion based. Yes. So that, you know, there's variables. Like is an executive team, how many people are in the room? I would say with an executive team, we want to do something that's much more discussion based. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which topics do you choose? Do you have exercises? I mean, there, there, there's many, many variables where I'd say not all lean one-on-one sessions are created equal or there, there's so many different ways to do it so many different ways to do it but i but i think you know so one of the variables is also the who does it and mm-hmm. and and i've always felt pretty strongly that um pretty strongly not there's no there's probably no decision point in lean 101 that i'll i'll hold to as as religion but yeah. i felt pretty strongly that the credibility of the instructor matters yeah. and for advanced topics people are looking for the depth Right. They're looking for, you know, I'm not going to say someone like you or I, but I mean, they're looking for the depth and they're looking for the credibility that comes with perhaps years, if not decades of, of study and practice and, mm-hmm. and, and exploration. I feel with Lean 101, the credibility to the audience is more about an organizational statement than depth of lean knowledge. Because mm-hmm. if you're, whether it's a, you know, one hour or it's an eight hour, something in between, you're probably not stretching the, the depth of knowledge very, mm-hmm. very far. So, you know, what, what, what credibility is more important to the listener? Uh, how much you know about lean or how committed is the organization to this journey? Mm-hmm. I, I, and I would always yeah. argue it's usually the latter. I mean, I could see people being disappointed if, let's say on one extreme end of a, a bell curve. Um, you've got standardized corporate slides because let's say it's a large global enterprise. So to your point earlier, it, if not robotic, it needs to be consistent. You want right. everyone getting the same messaging. But if you've got somebody whose function is basically read slides to people, there's probably not a lot of value there. Otherwise, you could have just emailed the slides to people right. and said, here, read these. If you ask a question and someone's out of their depth and... Um, hasn't been properly prepared or maybe it's just a matter of not having the experience that mm-hmm. might not be a, a really effective lean 101. It, it might not be. Um, and, and I, and I think again, it's a matter of what questions do you want to answer? So this has always been an instructional design, uh, uh, variable for me where I often push back on, 
on people going through design. And, and they, they start with, what do we want people to hear? Mm-hmm. And I say, no, no, no. The question is, what do they need to hear? Right. Sure. What what are they? What do they need to accomplish? What do they need to accomplish? What questions are in their head that you need to answer? Right. Those those types of things is what what are they asking? What do they feel like they need to know out of this quest this topic uh, for anything? Really is yeah. kind of my my argument. So it's really a user centered design variable around content than a uh, deliver uh, centered yeah. uh, uh, criteria. So. So, so I think that's pretty important. And then, you know, regardless of how much time you have, you want to start with, you know, where are they? Where, where, where are their heads at? Mm. Are they, are, are they sort of on board with anything and they just need to know what it is? Or sure. are you trying to overcome some natural resistance to, uh, to past practices and, yeah. and, uh, past, past well, sins? You've got to know a little bit of the history. You've got to know, we're trying to find out what people already know. So to, to those two points. If you're coming into a place where, quote unquote, lean's been given a bad name, I've seen this in healthcare where I've mm-hmm. been, there was one year I got brought in like three organizations in a row or I was on the heels, I'm not going to mention the consulting group, <laughs> but after um, it, it was the same group and the diagnosis or the, the explanation of the history was lean's gotten a bad name here. Okay, well, why is that? Um, because lean was nothing but cost cutting. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. So now you, there's almost a need to try to, uh, you have to help people unlearn mm-hmm. if it had been framed literally as just a list of cost cutting projects. I would say that missed the mark and that that's, that's not really what, that's not at all what, what lean is. So then you, you need to understand that, um, and try to help people if there's a recovery from that. But I also think of like on, on this consulting engagement here in Philadelphia, We've got some internal process improvement people we're working with, and even with a broader team we're working with, um, the other um, advisors from Value Capture and I, we haven't PowerPointed anybody. Mm-hmm. But I think even in one of those first discussions, I was trying to draw out because I have a PI advisor who's already had some training, a little bit of experience. I'm trying to draw out, teach back to me what you know, and we're whiteboarding stuff, and th- th- this seems like... You and your uh, Windows tablet, Jamie, the way you might interact with people, whether right. it's in person or online. I'm mm-hmm. like, what do you know? Let's have a conversation about that. Let me fill in some gaps. If they say something that's quote unquote wrong, maybe sort of, you know, try to in a gentle way. So, well, what I taught was, you know, what, what I was taught was this mm-hmm. and allow them to kind of process that and think about that. Um, yeah. And that, and that yeah, I'll, I'll say the, 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 the benefit of, of a conversational, engaging style of a Lean 101 allows you to meet the student where they are, yeah. right? Without too much pre-work, without too much assumption uh, yeah. that you build into it. Uh, the, the downside is that depending on who's delivering it, it can, you know, you certainly lose some of the consistency yeah. unless you really prepare the instructors around those, those, yeah. those talking points. And there's a difference where when I was talking with, with this woman, it was... Uh, a one, basically a one-on-one conversation. It could be completely tailored to her individual knowledge and needs. When you're in a room of people, I think the biggest challenge is when you have a room of people with a wide range of previous knowledge mm-hmm. or experience. Now, like, do you, do, you, do you go in the middle where you might be overwhelming people who don't know anything and it might be boring the people who already know mm-hmm. something? Maybe they shouldn't be in the, the Lean 101 class. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think a lot of that is around 
what's the, you know, what is the investment, right? So, you know, if, if it was, say, a 90-minute training uh, or event or whatever you want to call it, yeah. I kind of feel like, okay, if you're going to be bored for an hour and a half, so be it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you yeah. should hear the same things that other people are hearing just because it'll help the conversations that come after that. And you can see where they are and you can help them and you can be part of the process yeah. and you can build on it. If it's a day, if it's more than a day and, and they're going to be bored, that's a, that's a bigger question. I mean, I, somebody says, hey, would you want to sit in on a one-day Lean 101 training just to give us some feedback? I'd have to think long and hard about whether yeah. I'd want to do that. I don't know if I would want to spend a day in a Whiskey 101 class unless there was a lot of tasting because I feel like I've progressed beyond Whiskey 101. Yeah, I probably haven't, so I, I probably would <laughs> learn more. I'm still not sure I want to sit there without a tasting talking about whiskey for, <laughs> right. for eight hours. Maybe we need to com- combine Lean 101 training with whiskey. That's a limited market for that, that I bet. Is, that is a limited market. Yeah. I think there's some general counsels that might <laughs> right. put the kibosh on that, right. that particular right. uh, decision. But it would be it would be interesting. I actually gave a speech today, uh, speaking of you know, my whiteboarding, uh, digital whiteboarding is, gave a speech today to, a, to an evening audience in the Middle East. And, mm-hmm. and um, it was... Uh, yeah, it was a good, good, good conversation and, and and good moment. But yeah, an evening intro to lean course might might go a little differently than a than a lunch and learn. Yeah, but you know your your blog post, and we'll, we'll link to this in the show notes. Um, you know, I don't know if it was intended to be provocative. The the title was um, you know skip the lean intro training. I think with with a question mark. Right? Yeah, and 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 I. I think it was meant, it wasn't meant to be just provocative. It was meant to suggest that I think a lot of organizations could do without it. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, here, here's my argument against doing it at all. And I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying if, if you're going to do Lean 101, um, know what comes after. Mm-hmm. Know, know mm-hmm. what comes next. And and if there's a clear plan, if there's a roadmap, if there's a strategy behind how you're going to teach people, then do they need intro to lean or do they need the first tool capability or method you're going to ask them to use? Right. And then you build on it, right? So so you don't learn, you know, if it, we're both engineers by education. We don't get to do a lot of that anymore. Yeah. But, you know, we've never been taught the history of scientific thinking. No. Right? no. Uh, the history of engineering. Right, we Probably learned not. we learned math and mechanics, right? Because that was step one, and then and physics, and and then we learned the next capability, and then we we then we did more integrative capabilities, mm-hmm. right? And there was a progression to that learning where we didn't even have to know where we were headed. We had to kind of have some line of sight, but fundamentally, it was we're going to give you we're going to give you some building blocks, and you're going to use them. Then we're going to give you some more integrative capabilities, mm-hmm. and you're going to use those. And then we're going to teach you to think for yourself. You're going to use that. Yeah. But we didn't really need an intro course there, right? Yeah. And and you look at most disciplines that you know it, you you start with some core capabilities, and you, you build on that, mm-hmm. and you build on that, and build on that. And so that's yeah. really my argument is that I think lean can be taught the same way. I mean, I think at the same time, it, a lot of it's very situational. What challenges does does this organization face there are some people there's all kinds of dogma out there right there's 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 one um, school of thought that says you know don't do training 
You learn by doing lots and lots of Kaizen events, and that's the only mode or model that they're using. There's something to be said by for learning by doing with an experienced coach. They're, they're going to mm-hmm. introduce the right tool, just you know, just in time training, if you will. I think there's a lean lesson there. Yep. You know, uh, back to when I think we went through similar. Uh, program in, uh, in in the day it was uh, TQM Total Quality Management at MIT, yep. and they would talk about what learn do learn do learn do. Yep, I think there's a lean principle maybe that's helpful around smaller batches, right? Of learning, learn and go and try, and and get feedback and get experience. But but back to like what what do you start with? I, I would argue that's situational. There's there's dogma. We've all heard it that says you always start with five S. Right. I've seen situations where starting with kind of simple PDSA Kaizen is a great place to get started. You're teaching people problem solving. Exactly. And then at some point they may run into a problem where 5S is a very helpful countermeasure. And let's learn about that a little bit and then let's go do. Mm-hmm. And let's keep going. Yeah. And, and, and so I think a lot of it. It does depend on how much control you have over such a roadmap, right? Mm-hmm. So going back to our engineering education, cool. well, you know, the, the the university had a lot of control over that. What's mm-hmm. required, what's an elective, what's optional, right? Lots and lots of control over ensuring you got the pieces. So I think one of the factors people, sort of filters people put on making the decision around, do I have lean intro to lean and what's included if I don't? is probably comes from a fear of lack of that control, right? Meaning that, mm. hey, if, if I could lay out the next three years wow. of your education, then I'm going to, I'm going to feed it to you a piece at a time, just in time. But I, I don't have confidence that that's how wow. it's going to go. So I'm going to give you something while I have the chance. But it seems like you know, a college setting is much more controlled Oh, yeah. And deterministic. And when you think of a three-year roadmap for an organization, the younger people listening, if there are younger people listening, they're going to say, <laughs> what's a roadmap? <laughs> they might, yes. And you know, gonna get, uh, who, who knows what, like especially in healthcare, like a three-year roadmap for an organization, there are so many things that could change in the next three years. Mm-hmm. Or if, let's rewind three years. Yeah. Who, you know, there, there, there was a pandemic. Um, there was a change in um, administrations. There are all these different things that are hard to predict. I mean, I'll give credit to uh, Ryan McCormick, um, good, good lean guy I know uh, uh, up in Winnipeg. He, mm-hmm. might, be, he might be listening. Um, I'll give him credit because I heard the idea from him. He would probably give credit to somebody else. Uh, if, if, instead of thinking of a roadmap, think of GPS. Mm-hmm. You, took, you, you used GPS to drive here today. It had a plan, but if it's a good GPS, depending on traffic changes, it may reroute you. Mm-hmm. And and I've been really fascinated with that idea recently. Of we still use the language, I think, of a lean roadmap. But what if we thought this is getting off the topic of lean one hundred and one? But if we're thinking of lean GPS, that might influence our thoughts on how much can we really predict the sequence of what we need to teach. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I agree with that. Um, of course, it requires us. I'll say coding the algorithm, right? Yeah. Um, mapping the terrain. We know much more about our roadways than we do about how to successfully navigate a, a, an organization's transformation. And, and I think that's, you know, three years is a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of things can change. And if you're doing Lean 101, then you probably don't know as much about the three-year commitment to the journey itself. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is a tendency to say, hey, 
I've got them for whatever time I've got them. I'm going to give them everything I can. And, mm-hmm. and that, that I think leads to what I think is the biggest mistake of intro to lean training is just trying to cram too yeah. much into the, into the bag. Yeah. Whether it's an I've, hour and a half or, three, or, or eight hours. Yeah, and I, and I think there's a temptation, especially with people who have less experience. They're excited, yeah, and they want to share everything that they've learned that's made an impact to them, right? right. So I think a lot of it comes from a good place. Mm-hmm. Of like, I'm excited. I know these things. I want to share them with you, but it runs the risk of overwhelming people or giving. You know, I, I think there's this question around you know batch size of learning. How much can people really absorb? Before you need to say, okay, let, let's 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 stop and, and let's go do something and apply what we've learned. And I think there's the other challenge, and it's a speaker trap. Of you know, you, we've all heard a presenter at a conference who says, "This is normally a full day workshop, but I've only got 45 minutes," and they're <laughs> literally trying to cram a day. Don't do that. Don't don't, do that. don't cram a full day into 45 minutes. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I would say, you know, I, I definitely used to be that way. I, I'd want it yeah. whether it was. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it was ego and mm. I wanted to, sh- to show how much I knew oh, yeah. or it was, it was passion and I wanted to share how much I learned, right? There's, there's little nuggets. Like, like you probably read Michael Cusimano's book on the Japanese automotive history. Long time um, ago. Long time ago, yeah. And, and it was his PhD dissertation on Japanese studies. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it, wasn't even, it wasn't really a lean book, but you still want to study it. And and you go back to you know the history of arranged marriages and banks and you know all these things that that had an influence on Toyota in the early days and well that's knowledge that not everybody has <laughs> but it's interesting and I want to share it yeah. uh, and tell that story but that that's probably not the the, yeah. the filter that I, that yeah. the students looking at it through yeah I mean can we teach principles of Built-in quality and error-proofing without talking about weaving looms, probably. Probably. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's you know there's one other dimension of like thinking of uh, fit for fitness for use. Lean one hundred and one training in an organization that's brand new to lean versus one that's years into the journey. You're going to have new employees, new leaders. You want to give them that uh, lean one hundred and one, if you will. It's probably all the better if you're drawing on examples from your own organization so Mm -hmm. people aren't tempted to say but we don't make weaving looms and we're not japanese or we're not manufacturers like you know i think when you can say you can point to here are uh, principles and 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 methods and here's how it's actually been applied here that's probably uh, when, when you can do that more beneficial than pointing to other companies other industries or even other centuries yeah, yeah, other centuries, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and, and I think that is a big factor in what should be in the content, which, which is interesting because I don't see a lot of organizations that refresh their Lean 101 mm. training as much as they should. But yeah. if you are mature, you're really preparing somebody you know, for what they're going to see in the organization that's already there, mm-hmm. right? Here's why we, here's why we <laughs> do what we do mm-hmm. in the way that we do it. Yeah. If you're new to the journey, you're, you're mostly trying to answer the question why, right? Why, why, why us? Why now? Why this? Yeah. And, and to me, that's, that's a, uh, you know, whether it's history or data or benchmarking or logic, right? You, you do want to build some credibility into what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. But you also, at the same time, want to answer 
you know, why are we doing this, right? What, right. What's relevant for our organization at this time, which, which I think is yeah. important. Because if this is important, why didn't we do it last year or the year before? Mm-hmm. And that's why I always like, it's not just why, it's why now. <laughs> right. Right? What, right. What is special about now? Maybe we're finally just convinced ourselves, and that's, that's the best answer we have. That's mm-hmm. fine. Yep. But, you know, why, why not last year? Why not five yeah. years ago? Why not five years in the future? Yeah. So I think I'm just you know thinking of another example. There's a difference between Lean 101, new people into an organization. I'm going to teach you the history of Hoshin Conry. Okay, that uh, when I talk about you know Hewlett Packard and other and then you know because I, I think part of the history was Hewlett Packard Japan. It wasn't even necessarily mm-hmm. um, Toyota or other um, usual suspects. But then I think there's a difference between saying, well, here here's a history of Hoshin Conry, let me teach you in general what an X matrix is versus pulling up, here's our current X matrix. Right. And so now I'm teaching you about the current state of the business and some of the plans and objectives, and I'm going to teach you how an X matrix works, which I think when I joined Honeywell in 2004, um, the director I worked for was a former Danaher guy who was all about the X matrix, and he tried going through all that for all that purpose, and I still felt like my head was going to explode from mm-hmm. turning my head and rotating the paper so much and piecing it together. But <laughs> I think when you can make it really, really practical, um, that's going to resonate with people and answer the question of like, why should I be paying attention to this? Why should I be committing any of this to memory? Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I think expectations should be, should be clear. What's next should be clear. I, I'm reminded of, uh, there's a episode of the Big Bang Theory where Penny wants to know what Leonard does and <laughs> goes to Sheldon for for help, and he he makes her take out a new notebook and he's like, "What is physics?" And <laughs> it was a starry night, and it is, and and so he's he goes into this this spiel, and she's like, "I just want to know what Leonard does." <laughs> yeah, right. So it, it is what what question are we trying to answer? And and in the end, right, people what is lean? Well, it's a, it's a way to get better, right? So if, yeah. if we want to really make it simple. And and that's why, you know, my bias was always towards, you know, if, if somebody gave me an hour, I'd want to spend at least a third of that time, if not half or more, giving them something practical that they can do mm-hmm. like that day, Yeah. right? Because if I'm going to just spend an hour talking about just lean stuff, like, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do this afternoon with what I just gave you? Unless I give you something you can do yeah. immediately and and put it to use, and then maybe you're curious about more. But if if the only outcome of an hour teach is I need another hour teach, hmm. well, okay, right. I'm not sure that then then we should have just asked for the two hours to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. So how much time do you spend? You you should spend some time on something actionable. Learn and do and go and try. How much time do you devote to setting the context of why? Because you might have an organization that already thinks it's really a, a high-performing organization or better than most. Um, and, and setting that context of you know, what, what the motivation is. If you're brought in as an outsider, why, why were you even brought in? If an mm-hmm. organization is new to lean, why, what's their hypothesis on why this is going to be helpful? Or if the organization is down the path and this is training for, for new employees – to articulate the why in terms of the benefits, not, not just hypotheses, but here's our experience. Mm-hmm. We've improved 
safety by this much. We've improved quality by this much. We've improved on-time delivery by this much. And here's how that flows through. We're a stronger, better business as a result. That's, I think, more impactful than this like theoretical exercise. Right. Or, or, or you know, there's also another question. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, Toyota would frame the Toyota production system as technical methods or tools management approach, philosophy. Like if you had an hour to teach Lean 101, you probably don't want to spend an hour on philosophy, even though though the philosophy is really important, right? Yep. Yeah. And and, and so that is, you know, there's always time and a place for to to build on what you've done. So, you know, I I like to work backwards from what are they going to do coming out of this? Yeah. Right. And sometimes it is, well, they're going to sign up for three-day class. Okay. Fine. If that if that's the, if that's the next step, then let's let's all we have to do is pique their curiosity in a way that sets up they go sign up for a three day class, mm-hmm. right? And I'm I'm totally okay with that. But you still want to answer that question: What do they do next? And if you yeah. don't have an answer, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you don't, if, if if there is no next, if it's like this is the only shot, that's the that's the tough design uh, yeah. situation. That's the that's where I have some sympathy for folks where it's like, Hey, I've been asked to do this training. We don't have a roadmap. We don't have the resources. We have this one shot. How do I get, and this is the key, right? It's like, they ask, how do I get everything across that we need to get across? It's like, that's not going to probably not going to fly. How do you, how do you set them up for success right. uh, with something? And, and then I'll say, hope the rest takes care of itself later mm-hmm. on. I think there's another good lean principle there of um, customer focus. Mm -hmm. The customer of the training, like you said, working backward from what they need to accomplish. I always think back to Taiichi Ono in in, in his uh, book on the Toyota production system. There's a chapter where the header just says, start from need. And then later on, he says, start from your most pressing needs, Mm -hmm. at least how that was translated. And um, assuming that's accurate, I think that's that's compelling. Thinking about what people need, I think another trap, whether it's training or a presentation, is thinking my job is to get through all the slots. Right. Like to 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 an opposite, I've often set up when I've done different training, whether it was lean training or uh, you know kaizen continuous improvement training or stuff based on my book measures of success and process behavior charts. A lot of times, I will say up front. I do not see my job here. I do not define success as getting through all my slides mm-hmm. in the sequence that I predicted was going to be correct. So there's always, I think, this need for, for adjustments based on um, the questions people are asking. So, okay, well, gr- that's a great question. Let's, let's go ahead and let's jump ahead and touch on a different lean concept. That wasn't the sequence I plan on going through, but I, I think there is no one right sequence. I think this is the challenge in building a class or even writing a book. In what sequence do I introduce these these ideas? There might not be one right way. No, because quite frankly, if if they weren't integral to each other, you wouldn't put them in the same course, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if they were completely disconnected, independent thoughts, right? Yeah. Here's, here's two parts of the class and they're unrelated to each other. Yeah. Well, then there should right. be two right. courses, right? The fact is they're integrated, they overlap, they feed each other, and it's not, and, and generally not in a linear way. So, yeah. 
so, yeah, I don't think there's a right way. Um, but at the same time, you have to understand your, your course design enough to know, you know, what, uh, what destroys the integrity of the flow of the course, mm. because th- there is, at least in, in how it's designed, uh, 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 there should be a, an internal logic behind it. And if yeah. you're not, if you don't understand why that design is the way that it is, then you don't know where you can, where you can deviate and where you can't, right? It's just like a detour yeah. on a GPS, right? <laughs> if you have a roadmap, you kind of go, okay, here's where I can detour and here's where I can't detour. Mm-hmm where GPS maybe solves that problem for you. Yeah. And so thinking about GPS, something about driving, I mean, the thing about Lean or the Toyota production system is a system. It's hard to think of, it's hard to describe this interconnected system in a linear way. Where I think if you're teaching somebody to drive, you probably could break down the most important things to teach first are the difference, I don't know, first, do you teach them the difference between park reverse, neutral, and drive. And then once they know that, I don't know, what's the next most important thing? Uh, accelerator versus brake. And if it's electric car, the whole gear shift thing, <laughs> and I almost say gas pedal. Uh, <laughs> these, uh, another outdated term, kind of like roadmap for some people. But yeah, Well, then um, there's clutch, so we'll, we won't even go there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, because uh, you, you drive a stick shift still, right? Just a not quick not currently, not currently. Um, and if if I had a, a bigger driveway or a bigger garage, mm-hmm. I'd I'd have I'd have something that's a stick in in there. But uh, yeah. current currently without a, a, an mm-hmm. automatic or without so, a manual. So, but to uh, so here I'll build on on the parallel. Maybe driving one hundred and one course for fifteen uh, year olds trying to get their learner's permit probably does not need to include a segment on the history of the automobile. Right. Um, it probably doesn't require a segment on the history of driving laws. What I care about is what are the laws today? And right? why. And why. And right? why. And that, that's where, that's that's a tricky mm-hmm. part sometimes, but and the why. Yeah. But if, if most, uh, I, I imagine, I think even when I was learning how to drive in, the late 80s, I'm sure the class assumed that everybody was going to be driving an automatic transmission car. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any. Like, if you were going to have to drive a stick shift, and when I've learned, my, my dad is a GM executive, would often have different um, uh, company cars or uh, loaner cars that he could get. And so he, oh gosh, this must have been frustrating for him trying to teach me. It was him teaching me how to drive a stick shift, not a driving school instructor. Right. Oh, and I, I learned how to drive a stick shift after I bought one. I, <laughs> I bought one. It was parked yeah. on a hill, and then I then uh, I had to, yeah. And, and I and I had to learn how to drive a stick. So shift. your hypothesis was I could figure this out. My my hypothesis was I could figure this out. Did it, you bur- did you burn out the clutch? I did not. Okay. No. I mean, eventually I did because I bought a used car and it was already <laughs> already partway there. But some teenager had abused it, maybe. It it it, it, it had gotten some work, but but uh, it also just had some age. It was a it was a 1984. So, so what, what, what was it though? Was it was a CJ7? What, Jeep, Jeep CJ7. Jeep CJ7. Yeah. Okay. So my, my first car was a 1984 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. Yeah. Automatic. Yeah. So this wasn't my first car, but it was my first my first <laughs> manual car. Yeah. So so let me. This is a side. This is a complete side note, but uh, just since this is about us, right? Um, sure. There's a. Uh, 
we've had a discussion recently about driver's education in schools and whether you get to drive a car or you just learn about stuff. Hmm. So I got to drive as part of driver's education mm-hmm. delivered by the school. Mm-hmm. And we drove an, a, an AMC Eagle. Wow. Yeah. Which, which is not a good car. There's no risk of going too fast. Right? No risk of going too fast. <laughs> no. Um, n- none at all. Or uh, being seen as cool, right? Yeah. You, I mean, you can't yeah. be cool in an AMC Eagle. Yeah. So, so did, your drive, did you have driver education with a car? And if so, what was that car? I don't remember. It was actually not through the school district. And I, okay. I remember um, growing up when I was young in Ohio, one of my dad's uncles was uh, a phys ed teacher who also taught driver's ed. And I remember hearing about this, and I don't know why this stuck with me. But when I, I took driver's ed, it was actually through uh, the YMCA hmm. in our city. I don't oh. think the school district Interesting. did formal uh, driver's education. Or if they did, I don't know. Maybe it was only in the summertime. I don't remember the context, but no, it wasn't through the school district. But I think it's another point that comes back to lean training. Driver's education was not just a classroom experience. Right. I could not get certified as a whatever color driver belt. Mm-hmm. I guess it would be a seat belt. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a driving yellow belt without ever having driven a car. Yes, which is which which is interesting right so that is the the application orientation of of learning mm-hmm. right i was going to say training but learning lean yeah. is there's an application element um it, it's interesting because my my middle son got his driver's license during the pandemic and the 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 of course you're supposed to go on a road course right you have an instructor mm-hmm. or a, mm. an evaluator in the car with you but they couldn't do that yeah so they basically uh, they, they basically the test was make mm. sure you can parallel park in the drive in the in the parking lot, and you kind of passed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm I'm kind of curious if there's going to be any data that suggests that mm. the people we passed with their driver's test during the pandemic, yeah. without a full road test, Yeesh. end up with a higher accident rate. Now, fortunately, sure. my son's very 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 good driver, very cautious. I'm sure, driver, you're supervising virgin. him. And enough. You're giving was, him the road education. Yeah, maybe. we are, but but he he also he also but, took to it naturally, so we so wasn't worried. Th- this was not in the episode plan, but this is how these things go. But thinking, extending on the driving analogy to lean training, there's always something to learn, right? So I got my learner's permit. So that's a good phrase. Does anyone get a learner's permit <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from your organization? You're, you're authorized. You're authorized to learn more about lean. Authorized to learn more and go practice. But um, so I, you know, I got my driver's license. Then um, let's see in what sequence. When I turned 30, my wife and I were living in Phoenix. And you might know the name, Jamie. Uh, Bob Bondurant, race car driver. And yep, he had a yeah, school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bob Bondurant Driving School, which um, no longer exists. I think that was even going back to before the pandemic and Bob Bondurant might have passed away. But this was a a driving class where they had, um, you know, an oval track and they had a road track and you were out there with race car instructors. And it was just a a fun day out there in a a Mustang and and, and cruising around. It was a nice gift to me for my 30th birthday. I, I was really excited about it. But then... Being on kind of like, you know, a, a kind of a road track and on the oval and you learn really, you know, basics that would avoid trouble out on real roads. The idea of when you're approaching a curve, 
you brake when you're going straight. Mm -hmm. It's better to brake when you're going in a straight line than accelerate into the curve. Right. And I think the other idea is making sure you're looking far enough ahead down the road and you, you know, you're naturally going to steer to where you're looking and there's this balance if you don't want to be looking just right to the end of your hood, if you can see the hood and not too, too far down the road. Um, so there are lessons I think that apply to everyday dr driving. I'm not trying to be uh, racing around, but mm -hmm. there are times if I'm on a curvy road, I'll remember oh, break yeah. in a straight line, accelerate out of the curve. And then when I worked for Johnson and Johnson, um, as, as a, a consultant, we were technically part of the sales organization and we were given company car fleet vehicles and they realized, I'll give J&J credit, the most dangerous thing any of us could have done as white collar employees was driving. Mm -hmm. And the more you're out on the road, the more danger it, dangerous it was. So a condition of having that company vehicle, which was a nice perk, was to go through a driving course and you would have to do it every three years. So I actually went through that twice. It was out in the mm -hmm. parking lot of a, a Texas high school stadium and they set up a thing uh, and, and different exercises and, and you were you were learning through practice mm -hmm. of learning how to do evasive lane changes and and, and the, the final thing I'll, I'll add is a, a punchline to the story you think why am I learning this okay hit the brakes go over a lane and stop mm -hmm. when am I going to use uh, I'm like okay this is kind of <laughs> cool I'm kind of beating up on the company car a little bit but I was driving in an official J&J capacity from Midland, Texas, back home in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It was at night. I'm driving in the left lane of, of the interstate. And I'm driving along. And suddenly I hear this bang. And my windshield is shattered. I'm not worried about root cause yet. We <laughs> figured out eventually what happened. But like, uh, I cannot see out of my windshield anymore. And so the muscle memory from that class kicked in. I, sla I, I, I remember looking in the rearview mirror, slamming on my brakes, going left onto the shoulder, mm -hmm. stopped the car. I'm like, okay, I, whatever happened, I've, I, I've survived it. <laughs> um, and it turns out, you know, they think from the other side of, of traffic, uh, a semi-truck had hit a four by four that had apparently fallen off of somebody else's load. And this thing was flying at my windshield like a javelin. Jeez. And shattered uh, the windshield. And final, final thought to the story. So I'm appreciative. That driving training may very well have saved my life. Mm -hmm. That I didn't go into the ditch. I didn't flip the car. I, you know. And then every first responder from a couple different jurisdictions, because this was out in the country, they all asked, how would you get that stopped on the shoulder so perfectly? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, thankfully, my company invested in safe driving training. So I'm thankful that that wasn't just, my gosh, an online course on safe right. driving. Well, and that, and that so, so this is why I always like to distinguish lean learning from lean training, mm. right? To me, lean learning, you know, may or may not include lean training. Right. But mm -hmm. it certainly includes practice mm -hmm. and it probably yeah. includes coaching. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hopefully. Because as, as you use, use the word muscle memory. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we talk about just problem solving as one one element. Right. Well, you know, just the instinct or intuition of, you know, when do I expand my problem and look bigger and when do I focus mm -hmm. it and narrow mm -hmm. down and. Yeah. You know, when, when, when do I know enough about current reality and, and when do I need to study it harder that that comes with that muscle memory mm -hmm. and it requires repetition and practice and and coaching 
So that's why, you know, I, I really harp on the term lean learning because it's like, okay, well, how are you going to go about learning? Mm-hmm. And what are all those mechanisms? And training might be an yeah. input to that. Right. But when I ask an organization about their lean learning strategy, they will show me their lean training strategy. Mm-hmm. And they're not synonyms. Right. It's possible to learn without training. Yes. Right. So there is the we're, we're going to learn by doing school of thought, whether that's I, I would argue that shouldn't be only Kaizen events, mm-hmm. but let's let's learn by doing. It's possible to learn without training. Unfortunately, it's also possible to sit through training without learning. Yes. <laughs> and we've heard all kinds of situations like in healthcare, people will complain about the electronic medical record system. They'll say it's hard to use, and let's say maybe the training was really dull and unengaging, and the organization says, well, we trained you mm-hmm. without thinking of the lessons from, uh, let's say, training within industry that a lot of our listeners might know of. Right. Um, you know, this idea that you know you need to confirm that the knowledge was actually transferred and that it sunk in. You, you can't just assume, I talked at you, therefore you learned. Mm-hmm. You, you, you've got to... Uh, kind of test that hypothesis that the training was effective. And, and that le- leads me to a bias of mine that's that's shifted over time. And, and that is, I mean, I used to be a, a strong advocate of, of simulation and case studies. And, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I still love those, right? I think they're great. And I, I designed so many, I, I don't want to say so many simulations, I can't count them, but more than I can actually remember. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'll, I'll recall, oh, yeah, I remember that now. Um, but, but I, I you know, s- to me, simulations is not, they make it fun. They help with some of the application, but they aren't real enough to really ensure that you know what you're talking about, right? A- and so, you know, I don't do a lot of this. A lot of what I do now is more coaching, but I do do some workshops and, and I, and I kind of insist that the application be real. Like, okay, yeah. even if we have to slow it down, even if we have to, uh, you know, give you more space or time, more coaching, whatever, whatever it's going to take, I would rather you try to do it for real mm-hmm. and then let's see if you got it and see what questions you have. Then do it in a simulation. We declare success, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you go off into the real world and struggle like hell. And, and and so I, you know, to me, my my bias has shifted. Now, um, again, I'm not I'm not running any workshops that are, are are scaled across a large organization. It's just this is just what I do with my time, and and so I get to set different rules for that. But but it, it is a reinforcement of the, the 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 learning is what matters. There's many tools in the learning strategy, and training is a guarantee of nothing. You could maybe also say, I mean, the the learning matters a lot, but then how much do the application and the results matter? Because mm-hmm. I, you know, I think of the last manufacturing company um, I worked for was really proud of how many people they had put through Greenbelt training. I may have told the story before here. I know I've told it other places, but let's say they had trained and certified approximately 500 people. Okay, they had learned something, and better yet, it wasn't just classroom book knowledge. They all had to do a project that was mentored by a black belt. It was pretty rigorous. But then what? To what benefit? Um, I, I do remember quite clearly if you know 500 people had gotten certified, 
the total number of green belt projects ever completed was something like 506. Because <laughs> right. people got their certification and the organization was not encouraging more right. projects. It was not giving them time to do it. And so then you step back and say, well, okay, I'm sure there was some business benefit to those 500 projects. And thank goodness six of them figured out how to do a second project. Or maybe one person did five more projects. And then they may have left and become a Six Sigma consultant. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, what a shame if people are not able to apply the learning in a way that strengthens and reinforces the learning and has benefit to the organization. Yeah, and that, and that really, you know, really reinforces the point is you have to, you have to understand what's going to come after the training, right? Yeah. Is it, is it in a requirement for application? Is it coaching? Is it more training? Are they plugging into a mature system yeah. where it's naturally going to happen or mm. are you just hoping it happens? Right. Right. So you really have to understand what, what, what is true for the, for the, the graduate, <laughs> for the yeah. lean one-on-one training recipient the minute after they leave. I'm going to bring it back to driving and thinking about like purpose and what you're moving along for um, and what you're moving toward. We, we've probably all seen videos of online of somebody driving a $200,000 supercar who drives it badly and wrecks it. Mm-hmm. That's probably not the first car you should ever learn how to drive on. Right. So how often with lean training are we asking people to drive a Ferrari mm-hmm. before they've learned how to drive? Uh, it was what the AMC Eagle. The AMC Eagle. Or an Oldsmobile <laughs> Cutlass. Right. Or, you know, they're, they're, you know gosh, there was, n- n- again, like that Cutlass, same thing. It was a big, huge, heavy car. There's no way I could have, I don't know if it exceeded the speed limit, <laughs> even if it was 55 at the time. It was a chore. Um, the car told you you shouldn't be driving this fast. Right. <laughs> yeah, it gave you some feedback. So, so I don't know if we've answered, you know, the question, what should Lean 101 training look like? But I, I think we've... We've concluded a few key points, right? Uh, you, you be user-centered, right? Yep. User-centric, design with the user in mind, understand where you are as an organization, mm-hmm. understand where the student is as a student, yep. Um, yep. set them up for what happens next, and uh, don't, don't design, you know, don't design your training to be about sharing everything you know, right. uh, uh, patting your ego or believing that everybody needs to be as passionate as you do. Yeah. Yeah. You can't expect that to happen immediately. Right. They're not going to come out of the book learning classroom training with that passion. They may develop that passion once they go and do some really cool stuff. Right. That they're proud of in action that makes the organization better. Um, but I'm going to share one, one, one thought. And this is the point in the podcast where I you know, feel like uh, this could be the whiskey talking. <laughs> But uh, I had a thought, this may or may not be clever. So we probably all know the the joke or the parable or people post on social media. Um, you know, uh, the CFO asks, what happens if we train our people and they leave? And then somebody, whoever the hero of the story, whatever their role might be, what if we don't train them and they stay? Okay, fair enough. Good point. But maybe there's a third uh, possibility there. What if we train them and don't let them do anything with the training? Yes, well, then they might leave. So maybe that's back to the first point. It, it, or it, it's just a waste of money. It might be. Sorry. No, no. but I, I – so I, I do think that that quote is, uh, is, is credited to Zig Ziglar. Okay. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think <laughs> it is. We can right. fact check that. Yeah. But, but I think that is, that, is, that is an important question, which is 
what will be true when they're done? And and I remember an organization that, that asked me to look at their lean training and I was like, they were asking, well, is it is it good? I'm like, yeah, it's great. But what, what happens when they graduate from it? They're going to expect help, right? They're going to they're gonna want to go do stuff. Yeah. You've gotten them excited. They want to go do stuff and you have like one coach. Right? Yeah. And, and so I, I think it is, it, it's, you have to be careful about spending too much time Getting people excited about something mm-hmm. and yep. then telling them they can't use it the right. next day. Or tell them to go use it without training and it's the equivalent of uh, running the car into a telephone pole. Yeah. They might not literally hurt themselves, but they might be scared off from ever trying again. Certainly could be if frustrating. They, if they had a bad experience or people got angry with them. Yep. Because let's say we taught them lean tools, but we never had a discussion about change management. Yep. Exactly, and they're a bull in the china shop, and they go out and do five S two people, and now they think, okay, well, uh, we tried lean here, and it didn't work as an individual or as a company. Yep. I think there's there's a real risk of that if um, if we're not giving them that coaching and mentorship along the way. Yeah. yeah. So don't don't launch a lean one hundred and one strategy without a full lean strategy, knowing what else you're sending people into uh, as they come out of it. So yeah. Uh, Key, key lesson learned. Yes. And we're, we're speaking from experience from having made some or all of these mistakes. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I'll speak for myself. I, I've never, I've never actually, in, until I was, you know, I'll say a consultant and, and observing other people's training, I didn't learn any of this through a classroom, mm-hmm. right? I didn't take lean training. There, yeah. w- there wasn't Chrysler really wasn't training. doing... Lean 101 training, you were just doing stuff? I helped design it. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I helped put together you know, Chrysler Operating System course number one, mm-hmm. right? And helped deliver that very first session uh, with our Lego simulations where we built Jeeps. And uh, so so you know, I drove around to Kmart's buying Jeep Lego kits to build out simulations. So yeah, there was, there was, there was nothing to go take. We were designing some of our first training. So I... Uh, so yeah, we, we we've along the way we've we've experienced many of these mistakes one one way or the other and yeah. and we're behind many of them. So yeah. Okay. All right. Good topic. Good topic. I'll be curious to hear listener feedback, or I'm curious what you think, Jamie. Is it easier? Is it better? Is this a better podcast doing it in person without the Zoom stuff in in between? Yeah, we'll see. Obviously, we, we didn't video record this, so so for anybody that's used to watching on YouTube, they'll just miss out on on this uh, this episode, and that's yeah. that's too bad. But uh, but curious. But again, we've said this before. We do this kind of for us, <laughs> yeah. And we hope our listeners like it too, <laughs> yeah. So so this was definitely good for me. Yeah. Um, uh, just a chance to to be in person again for for the first time in quite a while. Yeah, so. to be across the table, I can't resize your head by clicking and dragging on the window. No, not no. saying your head needs to be resized. But no, just we also can't mute each other. We <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't, can't do that I'm, either. I'm, I'm looking at notes on uh, my iPad. I'm also not being distracted by my iPhone or anything else that's beeping or yep. there on a computer. So nothing else other than you know getting here and and getting home. So yeah. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, chance to be together in person. Yeah. Chance to talk Lean 101. So cheers to cheers to all of that. Cheers to that. And, um, yeah, so if, if you want to follow us uh, and, and make sure you pay attention to the podcast, you can 
can always find more. Uh, as I said, this is episode 33. So you can go to leanwhiskey.com, uh, spelled either K-E-Y or K-Y. Either, either version is mm-hmm. fine. Um, you, can, you can find us at, at jflinch.com slash leanwhiskey or for Mark. You, you can uh, and the leanwhiskey.com. I feel like this is uh, selfish of me. I'm hogging the URL. The leanwhiskey.com URL forwards to leanblog.org/slash leanwhiskey. Um, but you know, if, if this is your first time listening and you're listening, let's say through either of our websites, you can find us. You can subscribe. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, kind of all the usual places you might find a podcast. Yeah, so you know, give us a listen, uh, share with your friends, um, give us some feedback, and you know, let us know. Let us know what you think. Ask us questions, things you'd like to hear us talk about in in future episodes, and uh, always always looking for fresh ideas. And so we appreciate we appreciate everyone, and you know, to getting together. You know, cheers, cheers. Let, let's let's see what it sounds like to uh, clink a glass. In person. In person. We'll see whose microphone picked that up. (laughs) Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.